Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Infectious Disease Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Anderson. This episode features content from an educational symposium titled Accelerating the Pace Toward the End of the HIV Epidemic. During this podcast, Dr. Baba Femi Taiwo, Jean Stollerman Professor of Medicine and Chief of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine in Chicago, Illinois, discusses barriers to reaching people not yet diagnosed with HIV and strategies to improve rates of HIV diagnosis. To follow along with the accompanying slide set, please visit the link in the show notes for this episode. Now, let's get started and hear what Dr. Taiwo has to say about reaching the undiagnosed. Okay, so I'm going to start by fully talking about a tale of disparity. But as I talk, I'd like you to sort of change the disparities to opportunities. So I'm going to show you three uh, opportunities to increase HIV diagnosis. The first uh, is this disparity that occurs, that is currently uh, prevalent by region. In 2020, about 84% of people with HIV knew they had, knew their HIV status, meaning that 16% did not know. But the gaps in knowledge were not equally distributed across the regions. Uh, the Middle East and North Africa had greater uh, gaps in knowledge, as well as Eastern Europe and Central Asia, whereas some other parts of the, of the globe uh, had uh, lower rates of undiagnosed HIV, specifically uh, Eastern and Southern Africa, and also Western and uh, Central, Central Europe and North America. Now, the next uh, disparity, which, again, I want you to think about as opportunities for progress, is in terms of the people who are most affected. This uh, figure here shows that about 65% of persons living with HIV in 2020 were either key members of the key population or clients of sex workers or partners of uh, members of the key population. So only 35% of the infections were from the rest of everybody else, an opportunity for progress there. The other area of disparity is in terms of age. And as you can see here, younger people tended to be less aware of the HIV infection. As shown here, 13 to, persons 13 to 14 years old were lowest and as, you know, it sort of increased uh, steadily up until uh, those over 55, where 95% of them were aware of the infection. And so let's uh, hear from uh, Yvette to tell us what prompted her to get I tested for HIV. Made me test- I was just not feeling well. I was not feeling 100%. I felt I was losing a lot of weight. And I thought, why not start with the most scariest? I was not scared of cancer at the time. I was not scared of, you know, being diagnosed with any other illness. I thought, let me start with HIV. And if it is HIV, I would know how to deal with it after that. So that's the event story. I'm sure in your practices you have uh, different stories that you can uh, talk to us about. Now, there are several barriers to HIV diagnosis, and these are some of them. Stigma is one that I'm sure you've all uh, experienced in terms of your relationships with, with, client, with, with patients. Uh, it can come in different ways. There are still some countries that still have discriminatory laws that are prohibitive, and some of them actually still penalize same-sex relations, uh, unfortunately. Social determinants of health clearly can impact how uh, patients or individuals take up uh, testing opportunities. And of course, the opportunities to address things that can interfere with testing like mental health issues, substance use, and also uh, SDI uh, treat services 
all of these are not always readily available and may constitute barriers. Now, when these barriers congregate and actually affect patients in getting tested, late diagnosis is the consequence. And of course, late diagnosis is not without, um, without, without uh, negative effects. We know that if you don't diagnose somebody, they're more likely to transmit to, to other people. AIDS is an issue. AIDS-defining illnesses uh, can, uh, can occur in different ways. Uh, unfortunately, it's still going on. In South Africa, about 55% of those in 2020 were uh, late diagnosis. Of course, the definition is shown there. If somebody comes in with CD4 count less than 350 or with an AIDS-defining illness, that, is, that constitutes a late diagnosis. Now, remember that we talked earlier about younger people being are less likely to be aware of the diagnosis. Well, the older folks also have their own issue. And it's in this area of being uh, missed because quite often they're not thought to be at risk of infection and older persons may not identify themselves as being at risk of infection too. So you want to pay particular attention to that in your practice so you do not miss the opportunity to diagnose uh, older persons. Now that we've talked about the barriers to testing, how about strategies to improve rates of HIV testing? Now, this is a, a slide that shows numerous opportunities or numerous, inter, numerous interventions that can be adopted. And I'm sure that no single practice can take on all of them, but hopefully you're taking, some of, taking up some of them in your practice. So take a look at this and see which ones you're adopting and which ones might be opportunities that you can, you can embrace. I don't think that we need to go through uh, each of them uh, one by one. But let's focus on some of the newer recommendations from the WHO, because you want to be sure that you're incorporating this in your, in your practices. One is antenatal care is one of the, the gateways to HIV testing, and you want to maximize that. So if somebody is pregnant, it's recommended that they have dual HIV and syphilis testing as early as possible during pregnancy. That is good for the baby, it's also good for the mother. You also want to retest them, and the question is at what point do you retest? Retest is to be done in the third trimester, not the second trimester, because the risk of transmission increases uh, during pregnancy. It is maximum in the third trimester. That's why the testing is in the third trimester. You don't want to test every single person either. You want to test people who have risk factors, and those risk factors are shown there. High uh, case facility, high incidence rate in the, in the, uh, in the care, as well as uh, jurisdiction. The social network-based testing is also important. There's a recommendation that it should be part of a comprehensive care package. So not by itself, but as part of a comprehensive care package. And one of the things that people always are concerned about is that maybe uh, network-based testing would increase the risk of social harm. Well, that is not true. Network-based testing rarely causes social harm. So it is a good thing. It's recommended. It rarely causes social harm. And these are all the other ways, all the ways that it can actually improve HIV diagnosis. You can see uh, increased acceptability of uh, HIV partner services. It's easy to, it can be implemented and also allows efficient use of resources. So it's something that can be done. And notably, it rarely uh, results in social harm. Indicator condition guided testing is something that you should also consider. What are indicator conditions? These are conditions that are associated with immune suppression and they could be infection, they could be malignancy, or they could also be uh, conditions that are associated that can be co-transmitted with HIV. So think about HIV, think about hepatitis B or hepatitis C. If a patient walks to your clinic with any of those conditions, of course you should consider them for HIV testing. Not doing so will be a missed opportunity. This study just illustrates that if you have a patient who is seeing you with an indicator condition, the odds of them testing positive is quite high. It is significantly higher than uh, if they didn't have uh, those indication con uh, conditions. 
And so another concept is HIV self-testing, and it's an important consideration for success. This is strongly recommended by the WHO. HIV self-testing should be offered as an approach uh, to HIV testing services. You can do it through the oral means. You can do it through, uh, through blood. Communities have to adapt the system to their own uh, realities. Of course, if HIV self-testing takes place, that is not all in all. There still has to be further testing done by a tester following national algorithms to make sure that the person is actually, is in fact, uh, infected. But no doubt, this is something that the WHO recommends as uh, strongly as something that should be offered. Here are some of the reasons why it's important. You can see that it's acceptable, it's accurate, it is safe, it can improve access to HIV diagnosis and care, can focus on, uh, can provide focused interventions for key populations. You can imagine an IDU uh, in your practice who you're trying to ask to come to the clinic uh, tomorrow, for example. They might, maybe they don't want to come to your clinic. Maybe they don't want somebody else to see them. But if you give the offer, if you offer them the opportunity to be self-tested, that might be the gateway to HIV testing. Now, this pyramid just shows you the healthcare uh, system, and you can see that the bedrock of the, of the healthcare pyramid is really self-care. And two important attributes that make it the bedrock are, number one, it gives the maximum autonomy to the individual. And number two, it can be done at the lowest cost when you compare it to other interventions such as um, uh, pharmacy-based intervention or primary care or the tertiary services. So HIV self-testing is actually recommended strongly by the WHO as something that should be offered to patients as an approach for HIV testing. And so here, I'm going to give you two examples in which HIV testing was done, but also it was somewhat um, enhanced. In Malawi, what they were trying to do here is to get women in antenatal care to get their partners to come in for HIV testing. As you can imagine, the standard of care is just to tell the woman, oh, tell your husband or your partner to come for testing. Didn't work. And so what they did was when they, they had two interventions, and one intervention was to just to, was to give a self-test kit to the woman to give to their partner. And the second intervention was to give the self-test kit plus, um, plus uh, an, an incentive, financial incentive, which went up to $10. And as you can imagine, the intervention arms did better than standard of care. The end point that they were interested in was actually getting the partners to come to, to get tested and be linked to care. And by linked to care, they meant if they were positive, they were tied on ART, if they were negative, they were sent for circumcision. And the, this was improved, and particularly so when self-testing was combined with the financial incentives. What that means is that you have to be creative in adoption of the, uh, the self-testing uh, approach. And another uh, study looked at HIV self-testing compared it to standard testing in key populations, as you can see here, MSM, transgender people, and female sex workers. And what came out of this study is that the benefits actually may not be exactly the same across all the different, um, the different uh, key populations. This was a meta-analysis, 10 randomized clinical trials, about 10,000 uh, 10, uh, individuals involved. And a key point was that Although HIV testing increased amongst, the M amongst MSM and transgender people, when they did sensitivity analysis, they actually found that the impact <clears throat> was higher. It doubled the HIV testing, uh, doubled the frequency of HIV identification. But looking at another, another group, the female sex workers, they, didn't get, they got an increased rate of testing, but it didn't translate into these other benefits uh, that they saw in, in amongst the uh, transgender and MSM. And so as healthcare providers, I saw earlier on that there are doctors here, there are pharmacists here, there are people from other, uh, health, or other categories of healthcare providers. 
you have in your hands all of these things that you can do. You, can, you should recognize patients at populations at risk. You should recognize indicator conditions that may not be typically, including those that are not typically considered at, at risk. Uh, acute HIV continues to be an issue. You have to be nice to your patients. They have to trust you. Uh, avoiding things like implicit bias and making testing accessible, all of these things together will help us keep that balance or, or, or change, bend that curve towards uh, success so we can capture the remaining 16% that are yet to be diagnosed. I'm going to turn now to my uh, faculty and just ask them to very quickly tell us what their, the main barrier to HIV testing is in their own region. I'll start with you, uh, Kuma. I think uh, in my region, it's more of a stigma, you know, where still, it's, uh, you know, if we're, we are 30 years in this disease, still it's a huge stigma. That's really another reason that people don't come out for testing. Right. Chloe? I think for me, it's really the clinicians and their behavior. The clinicians just don't think about HIV. And unless you put them into situations where routine testing happens in emergency departments and things like that, people just aren't tested into con indicator conditions or just aren't encouraged. Right. So a lot of missed opportunities. Yeah. And Gil? So, Baba Femi, the, the, you know, I like that Malawi study because it showed that heterosexual men are, are a problem for us in Southern Africa, and they are, sorry, heterosexual men. Um, but finding them to test them is problematic, and, and stigma certainly plays a role in how our clinics run. But for them, it's access. And I think the Popart study, 071, showed very nicely they weren't in clinics and they weren't at home when they were visited. So some years ago, and we published this, we did a study looking for men at the side of the road. So these are men who are unemployed and they hang out at the side of the road with their paint gear and what have you. Uh, and we literally just took a mobile clinic, paid them a day's wage so they didn't lose a day's wage, and we tested them. And we found an extraordinary number of positive men by doing that. So 30% positivity. So, so, yeah, I think you have to think about going outside of clinics, out of the usual uh, sort of setups, um, and offer, you know, innovative ways of reaching people. Agreed, agreed. So, everyone, let's go get the remaining 16%, right? We need to find them and bring them into care. These are the take-home points. One, most new infections occur in marginalized groups. Two, Younger patients are less likely to know their HIV status. Many possible interventions for increasing HIV testing are available to you, and uh, they are listed uh, here. Thank you very much to Dr. Taiwo and our panelists, and thank you to our listeners for joining in. As a reminder, to view the slide set for this podcast and to view the full Accelerating the Pace Toward the End of the HIV Epidemic program on the Clinical Care Options website, click on the link in the show notes for this episode. And please be sure to check back regularly for more episodes on important infectious disease topics. Thank you. Thank you.